You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Well, we are in this Advent series. It's the brief little uh, excursus here before uh, we get into the new year. And we're asking, the, 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 we're asking this question. This is, here's the driving question uh, that Rodney introduced last week. Uh, what kind of a Christian does Christmas make? That's the question. What Christmas is not just uh, a holiday with you know, some Christmas tree. It is, it is meant to do something. It is Jesus coming to earth to accomplish some things. It is God sending his son to accomplish some things. And those things are meant to change us. So last week we talked about how in Christmas we see God's like stunning generosity, right? That for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave us his one and only son. In, in that act of giving, in that act of sending Jesus, uh, it's meant to do something inside of us. We're meant to see this God who would open up his hands around the most precious thing that he has, his, his very self, his very son, and sending him to die for sinners. And we're meant to go, I wanna be like that. I'm changed by that and I wanna, I wanna live like that. And so the response of Christians to this generous God is that we become generous ourselves. We open our hands around our stuff and our, our time and our talents and our treasures. We open our hands around it because we see a God who's done it. He's given us the grace to, to enable us to do that and we live like that. So Christmas is about generosity in a sense and we are to be generous in light of that. That's the kind of Christian uh, Christmas makes. And today, we're not talking about generosity, we're talking about peace. Uh, we're, we're thinking about peace this morning. What is peace? What does Christmas have to do with it? What does Jesus have to do with Christmas? Have to do with peace? What do we have to do with all of that? How is it meant to change us? And here's the great thing about today. Uh, this is a softball topic, right? We're talking about peace. Who doesn't like talking about peace? This is the easiest thing. Everybody, everybody in this room, everybody out there, we all love it. Right? We, we might have different definitions of it, but we can all get on team peace. We, we're, we're for it. We got, you got the Peace Corps, you got the uh, Nobel Peace Prize. We'll, we will give you money if you can figure out a way to get some peace going on earth, right? You got uh, the, the peace and love movement of the 60s. You got John Lennon with that uh, uh, Give Peace a Chance song, the second worst song he ever wrote. Uh, first worst being Imagine. We can talk about that later. It's fine. It's fine. It's not a thing. It's another sermon. Uh, but, but we have, we love talking about peace, but here's the thing, for all of our talk about it, not a ton's going around, right? For all of our love of it, it's, we've got a weird relationship with it. Peace is kind of like a, that like really famous guy on Instagram, he's got the blue check, like everybody knows him, and then like one day, like two years ago, he happened to like one of your posts, and now you go around telling all your friends that you're besties with him, right? We, we want to be associated, we want that, but if we're honest, our relationship's pretty shallow with peace. And the reason I'm so confident about that is because you just have eyeballs and you look around and you go, peace is not really a thing that's happening. You just think about all the, the levels that it's not showing domestically. I mean, uh, let's think about globally for a second, globally. Russia and Ukraine. Guys, we, we are uh, a year into this thing or something. You know what? I read uh, this weekend the death toll in the Russian-Ukraine war right now is between 40 and 250,000 people dead in this war. And there's such hostility going on. There's, so there's tensions between Ukraine and Russia. There's tensions between China and Taiwan. There's tensions between North Korea and planet Earth. I mean, it's, it, there is, it, we're not okay globally, right? There's some dysfunction happening there. So you move domestically and you go, are we, are we better at it here? Like with people we know. And you go, no, we're not. I, I miss being shocked when I get on the news and I see another mass shooting. 
I remember, do you remember Columbine? Some of you old enough to remember when that went down? And it was news for months and months and months. It just kept going. Now it's like, it's a Thursday. It's, it's so, it, it breaks my heart that it's not as shocking. There is some, there's, there's this hostility that is happening culturally. We're not okay with each other. Politically, we're a mess, y'all. What was 2016? What was 2020? What is right now, right? If you're red, to me, you're dead. If you're blue, then I hate you, right? That is the new philosophy of politics right now. There's no handshaking across the aisle. We're just a mess. We, you take it interpersonally, just like how we relate to each other. The statistics are still just unbearable, that, that the divorce rate is still about 50% of couples who get married wind up in divorce in the U.S. I mean, even with the people with whom we have the closest ties, the ones where we're saying, I love you the most in the world, we can't work it out. We're just, we're failing at the most basic thing. And shallow relationships aren't much better. We have a whole TV station now called Court TV. Judge Judy exists because we can't figure out this thing. Twitter exists because we can't figure out this thing. There's just so much war, so much heat. And then take it down to the smallest level. Just take it down to you personally. Like your pursuit, our pursuit of inner peace. Like just like, I just want to be, I just want to be okay. Even at that, it's a mess. We're a mess right now. You look at virtually any statistic out there, depression is on the rise, uh, anxiety is on the rise, especially among teens, especially among teen girls. It, it, it is a, it's a bad time for peace it, personally. Uh, 1.2 million people attempted suicide in 2020. Did you know that? In the U.S. alone, 1.2 million people attempted suicide. So even when we come in ourselves and go, Am I, can I be okay? It's not happening. It's not happening. There's something, there's something dysfunctional here. And you're going, what is, what is going on? Here's something that, that we all say we value. We, we all want this, and yet we can't seem to achieve it. What is missing here? Yeah? Here is where it pays to be a Christian because the wisdom of the Bible just, it shines through like a beacon. God's word is obsessed with the issue of peace. It really is. And one of the reasons we know this is, is from our text today. This is the arrival of Jesus Christ. This is the pinnacle of, of human history. Everything is for this moment, the arrival of Jesus. In Luke 2, the angels are there. They're announcing his arrival, what it's gonna be like, and they're putting some words to it. They could say anything they want, right, to the shepherds about, about who this man is and what he's coming to accomplish. And what are, the, what, are the th what are the things that they're saying? Of all the things you could say, what do they say? Verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. They could have said anything and they choose the word peace. So somehow at the center of this Christianity thing, there is the arrival of peace. And so we would do really well, wouldn't we, to understand it better. To, to know not just what it is, but what Jesus has to do with it, how he brought it to us, so that we can not only treasure God better, which we want that, right, as a church, but, but so that we can be less lousy peacemakers because we're not great at it, not even in the church. We need to grow this muscle and, and it comes as we gaze at this truth and it, we can actually become agents of peace but only as we understand the man of peace himself. And so let's talk, I just wanna look with you today at, at peace, what it is, 
what Jesus has to do with it. I want us to marvel at that to see if we can be changed by that. So that's where we're going. What is Pete? What is it? There's a lot of ways we talk about it. We've got a bunch of different understandings. I asked my kids this weekend. I said, what, what do you think peace is? And they said, quiet. I was like, I mean, that makes sense. You hear me shouting, I want some peace and quiet. And you're like, yeah, it's word association, right? Peace, quiet, maybe that, right? Serenity now, right? That's what we want, right? So may, may, maybe it has something to do with calm and quiet, like ch- just chill out, man, just have some peace, right? Maybe, maybe it's that. Right? Uh, culturally, we, we, we uh, think about it a lot of terms in, in, in like no more fighting. Remember that Amy Grant song, Grown Up Christmas List? Remember that little gem, right? Uh, no more lives torn apart, right? That wars would never start, that time would heal all hearts. Just the earth's biggest charcuterie board of cheese in a song ever that you've ever seen. But, 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 but maybe she's onto something, right? Maybe, maybe it's okay, so maybe peace has something to do with like wars ending. That seems peaceful, like we're not in conflict anymore. That's clearly one of the themes that being picked up here. Is that what the Bible means by peace? Those types of things. And the answer is yes and no, right? It, the Bible does mean those types of things, but it means so much more. When you, when you look at it in scripture, uh, you see it uh, talked about like this, the Hebrew word in, uh, in the Old Testament is shalom. We know this word, right? Shalom. It's the way that the Hebrew talks about Peace, and the best way to think about this idea of shalom would be this. Here would be a good working definition for you. Shalom is everything as it should be. That's how you can think about shalom, everything as it should be. So it's not just the absence of conflict. That's a good thing, right? That, that w- wars would never start, right? Uh, but it, it's something more than that. It's not the absence of conflict only. It's the presence of unity. It's the presence of wholeness of disparate parts being put back together. It's the wholeness of uh, relationships even. When you get to the the New Testament, uh, it connects this idea of peace a lot with um, this idea of reconciliation, that there there are two parties that are uh, warring against each other. There's hostility there, and then when peace shows up, all of a sudden there's reconciliation that happens. There's a bringing together. It's not just, okay, I'm not gonna fight with you anymore, but it's that there's friendship. There's unity, there's like-mindedness, we're coming together. And so uh, peace in the Bible is much more uh, brilliant than just um, we stopped fighting, we stopped not liking each other. It, it's, it's wholeness, it's unity, it's coming together, it's everything as it should be, it's shalom. And, and the best picture of it, if you want like a snapshot of it in your Old Testament, is really gonna be the Garden of Eden, isn't it? It's gonna be Genesis chapter one and two. If you wanna kinda just think about those two chapters of the Bible, that is like the archetype, that's the working framework for God of everything that he wants produced on this earth. It's Genesis one and two, he wants that. We see God in, in the garden with man in perfect communion in the place where he made for them in total harmony and everything for a moment is as it should be. There is peace, there is shalom, you see that? It's what we were made for. We were made, you were made to be with God, to dwell with God, in God's place, with God's people, enjoying him forever together. It's shalom. And that lasts for about 45 minutes, right? Give or take. Because Genesis three happens, right? The fall of man happens. And our first parents, this is what happens, our first parents, become convinced that the good life, the shalom life, the everything as it should be life, does not come uh, 
by submitting ourselves and coming under the, the headship and, and rulership of God, but rather to be rulers ourselves. That's how the good life must be found. And so we abandon God in Genesis 3. It, it's, we talked about this a little bit during our Genesis series, but um, this is, I think, a helpful way to think about what happened at the fall of man. Um, to think about it less in terms of just simply some people sinned and now everything's bad. And, and to think about it more in terms of uh, a coup, like a military coup. Like an this was an attempt, Genesis 3 was an attempt to overthrow the monarchy. That's what that was. It, it was, we saw God on his throne, and, and I'm using we here on purpose. It was Adam and Eve, but you and I were in Adam when, we, when he sinned. You, you think you would have done any better? Fake news, y'all. You would not have done better. Just, just so you know. We saw God on his throne and something in our hearts said, I could do that. I, I should sit there. Why is he, where does this guy get off sitting on the throne? I belong on the throne. And as soon as that happened, as soon as the fruit was grabbed, as soon as we transgressed in that way, shalom is lost. Right? The pieces are apart now. Hostility is now introduced. Separation happens. And at that moment, we become estranged from God. And it's been that way ever since. And listen, this is, this is the fundamental problem that the world doesn't understand. The world, when, when it talks about our lack of peace, it only has a grid for the horizontal. That my biggest problem is me with you or that guy with that guy, or a nation against nation. But it's all happening here. But that's not how the Bible understands peace, is it? That's not how the Bible talks about it. it, it it's, it's not just a horizontal issue. The primary issue that the Bible highlights for our peace problem is a vertical issue. We have a vertical problem. We're not okay here because we're not okay here. This was broken, shalom was lost, and that spirals out everywhere horizontally because we're not with him anymore. We're estranged from him. We, we tried to overthrow the king, and now we're hiding in the jungle as war criminals. That's what happened in Genesis 3. And, and, and this is really the, from this point on in scripture, this is really the great angst of the Bible. How do we get that back? How do we get shalom back? How is that possible? Well, in Genesis 3, God tells us how it's possible. He, he, he tells us, he makes a promise that one day he's going to solve our vertical problem, that he's gonna send the snake crusher, right? The seed of a woman to crush the head of the serpent. That's coming. He's gonna send someone one day. We don't know how, but he's gonna send someone that's, that's gonna restore peace between us and him. And really what the whole rest of the Old Testament is, is us on the lookout for who that guy is, Right? So, so we're, we're, we're looking around and we're going, well, okay, well, maybe it's Moses. Maybe Moses is the, is the snake crush. Maybe he's the guy who's gonna bring peace. Well, that doesn't work out. He hits the rock too many times. He dies in the desert and we're all still a mess, right? So, that, so it's not Moses. May, maybe we can figure it out ourselves. Maybe it's like a pull yourself up by your bootstrap sort of thing. And so you get the book of Judges. Have you read Judges? That is a nightmare in how many ever chapters that is. I mean, we're the worst. We can't figure it out okay, you know what, it's not us. What we need, God, is some kings, right? So we get ourselves some kings, we'll solve that. There's like five good ones, and the rest, I can't even read their story to my kids. It's so foul. These are horrible human beings. They're, we can't find the person who's gonna bring shalom. We just don't, we're on the lookout. And so we're, it doesn't come, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, 
You're waiting. And, and, and after all that, you're still waiting 400 more years until one night in this obscure little town on the outskirts of Jerusalem to, to this bunch of blue-collar field workers, an angel shows up and he looks at them and he says, fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. The king has come, say, the king's here. Glory to God in the highest, he says, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The king has come and he's come to finally make peace. That's what's happening in the Christmas story. It's solving this age-old problem that's been brewing for thousands of years. And if that's all we knew about it, it would be a treasure that would take your breath away forever. But that's not all we know because we keep reading. We, we watch the story unfold in the New Testament and we're actually learning that there's more beauty here, there's something more wonderful here than we could even imagine because Christmas isn't just, and this is so important, please listen. Christmas isn't just the arrival of a king to pardon war criminals. That's breathtaking enough, right? But, but that doesn't go far enough because maybe, maybe in your wildest dreams, you could imagine a, a king with that much benevolence in him, a king that would move toward people and in some crazy act of mercy, he would extend pardon uh, to some bad actors. We can imagine that, right? Well, you, we have presidential pardons. We see that happening in our own country, right? The president looks at a guy and he goes, hey, we were going to kill you, but Merry Christmas, uh, you're free to go, right? So I have a category for uh, someone in leadership looking at a bad actor and saying, it's okay, you're free, right? But is that what happened at Christmas? Something more radical than that happened at Christmas because what, what happened there was not just a pardon. It, it's, not just that, it, it's not just that he said, hey, you guys can go. It's more like the, the president granting a pardon and then leaving the White House and going, getting in the prison cell to serve the rest of your sentence for you while you go free. That's what happened at Christmas. Jesus didn't just arrive at Bethlehem to pardon criminals. He arrived so he could one day grow up and die for the very people that he's pardoning. And that's a whole new level of breathtaking, isn't it? That's a whole new level of, of, of unreal. I'm going to die now for those throne thieves. That's what I'm doing. But if you stop there, that wouldn't be enough. Because... Because remember the, how the Bible's talking about peace. Remember what our definition is. It's not just a pardon. It's not just the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of something else. It's the presence of what? Wholeness, put togetherness, reconciliation, right relationship, friendship. So Jesus didn't just come to end the war. That would be breathtaking. And he didn't just come to end the war by dying in place of the war criminals. That would be breathtaking. He came to end the war by dying in place of war criminals in order to turn us war criminals into part of his royal family. He came to make us his friends, y'all. The, the king looked at a bunch of usurpers of his throne and said, I don't just want to forgive you. I don't just want to lay down my life to forgive you. I want you to be my friends. Does that just stop your heart beating? It should. That's Christmas. 
It's unreal what he did for us. Listen to Colossians, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.18. It says, God reconciled us to himself through Christ. Reconciliation, Ephesians 2.16 says that Christ reconciled us both in God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Colossians 1.20 tells us that through him, he reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Are you, are, do you hear the words that are happening? This isn't, just, this isn't just no more hostility. This isn't just I'm not gonna fight with you guys anymore. This is I'm not going to fight with you guys anymore. I'm going to pay for your sins on the cross and then I wanna be reconciled. I want you and me to be okay. I want us to be together. And so by the blood of my cross, I'm going to reconcile you to me. That is unbelievable. We hardly, I mean, hardly speak about it. This isn't a pardon. This is friendship. It's intimacy. It's wholeness. You see, it's shalom. Jesus really is putting the pieces back together again. Everything as it should be. This is the piece Jesus brought us at Christmas. And the question we have to ask now is the question of our morning. What does that Christmas need to do in a Christian? How should a Christian change in light of Christmas? What do we look like? What's different about us? I went through this week and I just perusing the scriptures, and, and I found at least five ways that the New Testament shows how Christ's peace specifically should affect our lives as Christians. What he achieved for us, how it should change us. Uh, in racial reconciliation, uh, it should have an impact on us and how we interact in legal matters, in conflict resolution, in fear and anxiety, in evangelism, right? I, and, and by the end of the week, I had like five sermons for you, and so we, we couldn't do it. And so I, I'm, all we're gonna do, I, I would love to explore those this morning, but all I'm gonna do this morning is I just wanna grab one part of one of these with you. I just want you to see how the peace that Jesus achieved for us works its way out in a Christian's life, because I want us to change, I want us to be different. Here's, here's what I grabbed, here's, here's what I want us to look at. The peace of Christ is meant to make you less offendable. I want to explore that with you today. And it, it may be for obvious reasons. We are an offendable people, aren't we? And, and more and more uniquely so. so, uh, so let me say this. So much of our conflict in, in life, think of all the conflict you have, so much of our conflict, not all of it, not all of it, but so much of our conflict comes down to this. We have lost the ability to let things go. To just let it go. To be okay. We, we, we have become a thin-skinned bunch. And it's not just out there. It's in the church. We become thin-skinned. Every petty thing feels like we're, we should probably war over this, right? There should probably be some nuclear explosions over, over that thing they said, right? We nurse every grudge. We're so overly sensitive people. Everybody's triggered. Everybody's getting canceled. And I, so I just want to talk about the peace of Christ in light of this. Because we got to find some solutions here. Our culture is training us to be thin-skinned folks, and I don't like it. I don't want it. I think it offends God. And I want us to change. And, and Jesus' peace does actually change that. How? That's what we're looking at for the rest of our time. How does it change it? By showing us three things. The mountain, 
the mirror, and the man. That sounds weird, but just go with me here. The mountain, the mirror, and the man. Jesus' peace, what he achieved for us, first shows us the mountain. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, how am I gonna, okay. Um, here's how it works. Let me give you a scenario. You're on a boat. You're on a ship. You're on a cruise liner, okay? And you're going, uh, you're going across the Atlantic and uh, you're just on this big fancy cruise line and, and you're uh, there in the restaurant area and you're at the bar. And you're in line at the bar and you're getting yourself a, a, a milkshake, okay? Um, calm down, everyone. Jeez, unreal. You're getting a milkshake at the bar and, uh, and you're standing there and, and all of a sudden in, in line, uh, some Yahoo steps in front of you in line. The nerve of this guy, that's what I said, it's unreal. Right? Who does this guy think he is? And so, you know, you tap him on the shoulder, and you're like, hey, buddy, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm here to get my strawberry milkshake. I, um, I couldn't help but notice that you're uh, slowing that process down. He's like, hey, hey, man, I can do whatever I want. Okay? Turns back around. You're like, oh, no, not today. <laughs> not today. No, sir. You tap him again. He's like, what? You're like, I really want this strawberry milkshake, brah. And, and he goes, you gonna do something about it? And you go, uh, yeah, you know what? I think I might do something about it. And as you start winding up for that five finger death punch coming at him right here, as this moment starts happening right here, all of a sudden the hull of the ship starts shaking like this and everybody stops, right? And you're like, whoa, 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 holding on to something. And, and, and you go, what's going on? And, and, and you and him, you run out this way and you kind of peer out the side of the window. And as you look out the window, what you see is a 50 foot iceberg passing by you like this iceberg right ahead right it's going by you're you're on the titanic by the way did i mention that you're on the in this scenario you're on the titanic and uh and it's coming by like this you know like, oh my oh this okay um okay so we got to go and so you and him, you, you leave and now you're looking around you i mean this is uh i do i guess i do i need a flare gun or a life a vest i don't know and you're just panicking you're kind of running up and down the the hull of the ship and leo passes you by and kate winslow and you're like what who was that and then and then the, the the thing is starting to bend but and just before it snaps you see the last lifeboat coming down in the water and the guy sitting in it he, he spots you two guys and he goes we have room for two more you two guys coming me, grabs your shirt, he pulls you in, now you're in the boat, now he's rowing your safety, they row you over to the other ship, they get you out, they sit you down, they put that nice warm blanket on you, they give you a cup of uh, hot tea, you're sitting there, you're rocking, after all that. And, and my question is, after all that, if you're sitting there right there, do you give a single rip about your strawberry milkshake? No, because it's stupid and dumb and it doesn't matter because there was an iceberg and you were about to drown in the Atlantic. And that whole thing functions like a mountain to you. It's this huge ordeal. My life would have been over and a milkshake and a mountain and a milkshake and you realize Okay, this thing, I thought it was a mountain, but really when I look at the real thing, the big boy issue in my life that just got solved, this is just a molehill. It's nothing. I mean, maybe I gotta step over it, but it's not, it's not a thing anymore. Welcome to the perspective that Christ in the gospel brings to a Christian. We, ha- we see the mountain, y'all. We have been rescued from hell. 
We have been put in right relationship with Jesus forever. You were dangling over the precipice of an eternal lake of fire and God snatched you up and made you his family and you wanna argue because she said your hair looked bad? It's, it's silly and it's dumb. And if you had no mountain, this does become a mountain, but we have the mountain. We get to see this, and it should change our perspective about what really matters. The stakes are lower than you think. We can get over things we think are big when we stare at something bigger, yeah? And in the gospel, in the peace Christ achieved for us, we are staring at the bigger things. So you look at the mountain. Do you wanna get over you? Look at the mountain. Then you look at the mirror. Now, what do I mean? Well, when you're talking about Christmas, you're really talking about Easter, aren't you? Because Jesus didn't just come as a baby to be a baby. He came as a baby to grow up, to die for sinners. So when we're talking about what we love about Christmas, what we're really talking about is what we love about Easter, that Jesus would come and die for sinners. So to talk about the peace he accomplished is to really talk about the cross of Christ. And if we're talking about the cross of Christ, can, can we just appreciate this? You understand the cross is not paying you a compliment. You know that? It's not paying a compliment. It's paying God a compliment because here this perfect, good, benevolent God so loves people who offend him and sin against him every day that he would die for them. So it's paying him a compliment. It's making him look great and it's making you look loved, but it's not making you look awesome. It's not paying you a compliment. It is saying the worst thing that can be said about you. It is revealing to the world just how dark your sin is. That for your sin to be atoned for, it takes the death of the second member of the Trinity to atone for it. It's not complimenting you. It is revealing the darkness of our heart, the sinfulness that we carry with us. And oh my gosh, when we look there, we see who we really are. The cross shows us our offenses are great. And when you can see yourself as a great offender of God, deserving of wrath, oh my gosh, it's so much harder to be entitled, isn't it? It's so much harder to be entitled. She, she did what to me? She said, what about me? She said, she said that? Is that all she said? Okay, well, nothing else? I mean, I've, I, that's actually not that bad. I got 15 other things that she should have mentioned that she didn't mention. You know, I'm gonna write her a note. I'm gonna send her a note, let her know the other things that she should be offended about by me because I'm actually a mess. Do you, do you see, when, when these moments of slighting happen, you can get over it because you don't need to, to preserve your reputation because you never had one. You never had one, you're the worst. I'm the worst. Thank God for the cross of Jesus, right? The worst thing that could be said about me has already been said at the cross. So I'm a scoundrel? Yeah, I am a scoundrel. That's why the cross exists. So I don't have to argue and fight over every petty offense to me or every name that someone has ever called me. I can let it go because the cross said something way worse about me. 
I'm gonna be okay. You have some resiliency when you look at the mirror of the cross and can see yourself for who you really are. The entitlement thing goes away. All, all of a sudden, offenses, they can roll off your back. I'm not saying every offense can be solved this way. I'm not saying that. There are some big offenses in the world, but I'm saying, can we agree? It's like 95% of the things that offend us are this big. And, and the cross has already said worse stuff about you. We can get over it. You wanna become unoffendable? You gotta get over you. You gotta get over it. You gotta stop looking at yourself with rose-colored glasses and start realizing that you're a sinner saved by grace. It will change you. It will free you. So we look at the mountain and we realize this thing isn't as big. This conflict isn't as big as I thought. And we look at the mirror and we realize, you know what, I, uh, I'm worse than they say. So I'm gonna be okay, I'm not gonna come in entitled to this. I don't deserve anything. Everything north of hell is grace for me. And then we look at the man. We finally look at the man. Christ Jesus, the God-man, the king himself. You know, it's interesting how the Bible talks about Jesus when it talks about the peace he brings. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's not just that Jesus brings peace to us like a commodity. The Bible goes a step further than that. In uh, Colossians, um, he says, uh, is it Colossians? No, it's Ephesians 2, 14. Uh, he says that Christ himself is our peace. He, he is it. He doesn't just give it to you that when you're thinking about what is peace, the shortest answer the Bible can give you is this. It's Jesus. You look to him. The solution is him. The hope is him is found in him, in his person, in his character, in his attributes, in his promises, in his behavior, in his affections for you. Peace is found in the God-man, Jesus. So we look to him. And look, I don't know what, what horizontal drama you're coming in with. I don't know what hostilities you have in your life. We got plenty of them. There's plenty out there and there's plenty in here. But what I'm saying is the solve to our horizontal drama is to deal with our vertical drama and that only gets solved when we go to the source, Jesus Christ himself. So if you're, just, if you're constantly the person who's just always at war with folks, always just touchy, always thin skin, you know what the, the answer to scripture is, is? You run to peace himself, you run to Jesus, the one who had every reason to be offended at you and instead of moving away from you, he moved towards you with affection and love. You look at him and you let that man change your life. You observe him and how he handles you and then you pay that forward to others. It's how it works. It's how the Christian experience works. At Christmas we see peace itself and as we gaze at peace itself in the person of Jesus, we're changed into that same image so we can be not just unoffendable but actually peacemakers now. We can actually move toward others with the love and affection and reconciling work of Jesus. That's how we navigate this life. And it's how you'll be free. Yeah? Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, we thank you for peace. You say it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. And uh, I don't understand it, really. I don't understand why you would come for us Accept that you're coming for us and reconciling us to yourself, it really does make you look wonderful. 
And I want you to look wonderful. And I'm hoping that this whole room, all of us would desire that, God. And Lord, we know conflict's a real thing. We know that uh, hostilities are a real thing. We know that there is lack of peace and, and, and we're not dumb. This room is filled with uh, folks just like me who have conflict that needs to be resolved and tensions that need to be quelled and lack of peace that needs to find some shalom. And so we're coming to you, God. And Lord, right now I wanna pray specifically for anyone who has not trusted in Jesus cast themselves on him and dealt with the vertical problem first, God. Right now, would you convict them in such a way that they would cast themselves on you and that they would get the vertical hostility dealt with first so that they could deal with their horizontal. God, would you reconcile them to yourself? Would they trust you even now in prayer? And God, for those of us who are walking with you already, we need the same thing. We need to gaze at you. God, would you make us peacemakers as we watch you, the one who made peace for us. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.